0: If you will, grab your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be. Look, I I will confess, traditionally, not necessarily um, an Advent, a Christmas text uh, in in many ways. And yet, at the same time, um, as we speak about hope uh, and we highlight uh, in a very traditional sense the way uh, that the church has for years at this point, um, celebrating the themes of Advent Um, And today's hope, uh, we're going to get to see and we're going to get to picture uh, and we're going to get to behold, I truly believe, hope and what that looks like for you and I in our life today. Um, Advent um, comes from a Latin word, Adventus, and, and it ultimately means coming or arrival, um, so it's one of those weird words. We just use it at this time of year, right? Never, never any other time. We use this word Advent to describe this season. We use this word because it really highlights, it really brings out the fact that this is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season of waiting for something to come. And it's in this season that you and I get the opportunity to, To identify and to wait at Jesus' second coming. We do that in looking to the past and remembering the incarnation. Um, This morning, I'd love for us to read Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, and then talk about the waiting uh, that Advent allows us to to embrace and the opportunity that comes in waiting. This is Romans chapter 8. Verses 18 through 25, it says this. Paul writes and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Look, Advent really allows us to do three things. It allows us to anticipate the future. Jesus has come. So in many ways, what we do, what we celebrate at Advent, truly is is, is a a reenactment of sorts. We replay, we retell, we recount the story of the gospel from Jesus' birth. We recount, we tell, we affirm with one another, we confess the faith that, that Jesus has come to us. That God in all his splendor and all his majesty steps out of heaven and comes to a manger. That's remembering the past. That allows us to do the second thing. We remember the past and we get to anticipate the future. We now, the church, looks toward Jesus' second coming. Christ will come again the Apostle Paul would write, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's what we anticipate. And in this season of Advent, in this season of anticipation, of arrival, of coming, that's what we anticipate in the future, Jesus coming again. So we we look to the past, we remember the past, we anticipate the future, and then we have this opportunity. We get to wait in the present. We get to wait. And here's the thing, I, I think as a church, we're, and I don't just mean us, but I mean the church universal, we're really good at looking to the past. Each week, we work really hard to remember and confess our faith. We talk about the truth of what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection. We look at the canon of scripture and see who God is and what he's done. The next thing, anticipating the future, we're growing in that, I think, as the church we're looking toward we're anticipating the arrival of Jesus coming but the part where we really stink is this we're just not really good at waiting in the present who's good at waiting anybody in here good at waiting none of us why would we be If any generation, if any group of people has an excuse to be terrible at waiting, it's us. It's us. The world is at our fingertips. Um, Look, there's a certain section of this room. I'm not going to name any names, all right? (laughs) But I want to tell you about how TV used to be, okay? (laughs) There are those of us who remember... Having to run to the refrigerator, run to the kitchen, run to the restroom, run to answer and then hang up the phone in order to get back to the game so that we wouldn't miss the play. Because if you didn't see it then, you weren't going to see it again. Right? To get back to that scene in the show that was so important... That you needed to know what happened, because it was going to give you context for the thing that happened next, because the next episode came, and you're not going to believe this, but a week later, <laughs> a week later. And now, everything that all of us see, there's just a season. When can you watch that season? Today? If this isn't like really engaging, you can watch it right now you got a phone in your hand. (laughs) There's just this deep immediacy to everything that surrounds our lives. There is this this song in this movie, and when I think about, like, when I look at the world, and even myself, I mean this very introspectively. I look at myself, and I'm not just judging everybody, all right? This is on me, too. But I feel like there's this song that this bratty little girl sings that describes everything about my life. I want the world. I want the whole world. Lock it up in my pocket. It's my box of chocolates. We (laughs) tracking? Give it to me when? Now. Now. Okay, a number of you have not seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You can stream it today. Um, Look, we are a people that has everything now. Everything right now. But this is the beauty of Advent. This is the beauty of this season. We anticipate the future. By looking to the past. And we get the opportunity to wait in the present. We get to wait right now. We get the privilege, yes, the privilege of waiting. Do you know what Advent is? This is the opportunity for us to push back against the vain selfishness, the immediacy of our world, and to identify with. To remember those who waited. Those who sang and cried out for hundreds of years. For a Messiah to come. To be set free from sin. And from pain. To be brought out of darkness. Advent gives us that opportunity. And today, we're going to talk about waiting And the fact that when you and I wait, we get to experience hope. When you and I wait, we get to experience hope. First, we got to take a look back. We got to step back into the past and recognize the child that is born to us and the longing, the waiting that took place, the waiting with which people that are. As hard as this might be to fathom, brothers and sisters who, who waited, who longed for Jesus to come. We look into the past. We look into Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And we get the very first glimmer, the very first picture of hope, of true hope in the midst of brokenness. God writes and he says uh, to the enemy, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then he says this, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that might sound weird or strange. You might say, what does that have to do with Christmas? And how does that fit into the gospel? And this is what theologians, historians, people would call the Proto-Engelion. And here's what that means, the first gospel. The first gospel, the very picture of the curse that will be destroyed in that head. And the mortal wounding by which that curse is destroyed. Jesus' body, that bruised heel. Even from the fall, from the very beginning, picture of hope. Emerges and it comes with years and years of waiting. Look into Isaiah. Or, sorry, sorry, Psalm 72. Let's start with Psalm 72. Um, this is a Davidic psalm. Um, psalm 72 17 really encompasses, and especially in these last two lines. All of the promise of God, the hope that was to come, it says, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. This one who would come from David's line. This one who would come from David's line. And we get the echo, not just of a Davidic covenant here, but also The covenant God makes with Abraham that all people would be blessed, that all nations call him blessed. And then as we hear from the prophet Isaiah uh, in chapter 7 and then also 9, we get the fuller picture of this promise, this hope, this coming, this gospel. And Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold, the virgin, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. In what way? How has it been shown? This is verses 6 and 7 and truly illuminates this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All of these things, this hope, this promise this pain and waiting for humanity to be reconciled to God, the picture is becoming more clear and more distinct. These promises, these prophecies, hope is beginning to spring. And then 700 years later, 700 years beyond this text, this is what we have in John's gospel. And we sang it this morning. And it is truly a very Christmas song because of these words. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So those people who were walking in darkness, this is the great light that they have seen, Jesus Himself. And look into verse 14. Why is this a Christmas passage? Here's why. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why read all these scriptures? Why recount all of these things? When we look back through the scriptures, we see a people that waited. We see a people that anticipated Union with God, connection to God, restoration with God, and it would come through the Messiah. So, this morning, we have the opportunity, like saints of old, to wait. But for us, now in this moment, we await Jesus' return. Christ has come, God truly is in the manger. And this morning, as we look back to others who have waited, we ourselves get to wait on His return. Here's the thing. We read that Romans passage, and you saw the language of waiting there. Three things I think we can draw out from that Romans 8 passage that that not only would encourage us, that would bolster our Advent season, that would cause us to enjoy God in the midst of our waiting, just things that we need to understand about how to wait We're not good at waiting. We've acknowledged this. How do we do it? Why would we do it? These three things will help us with those. Here's the first one. Look into verse 23, Romans 8, 23. If you have your Bible before you, it says this. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Listen to what Paul writes. Carried along by the Holy Spirit, he says this. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What does he mean? What is he saying? Waiting eagerly for adoption, waiting for the redemption of our bodies, that we would be saved fully and completely. To echo the passage that Brian read out of Revelation 21 this morning, that all things would be made new. That even down to the core of our being, our humanity, our our broken bodies, that we would be restored fully and redeemed. Here's the thing. It says this. We wait. How? What does it say? how do we wait? Eagerly. Here's the thing. I think waiting seems like a passive thing. Like it's a thing where you just, well, what does it look like to wait? Anybody been to the doctor lately? Right? No offense, Wayne, or who else is in here that's a physician? Um, I'm sure your practice is just right on. Uh, All right, I'm going to go to a different place now. I'm in trouble. Um, Look, here's the deal. Waiting, we think, is this passive thing where we just sit idly by. But the Apostle Paul says that waiting is not this passive thing. Look, here's the first thing we need to understand about waiting. Waiting is work. It takes work to wait. That might sound so strange, so weird. No, waiting is, just, I just wait. I just don't do something, right? Just do nothing. No. Paul says that we wait eagerly. What does he mean by this? Look, um, the, the Greek here is really fun because it's this word that basically sounds like appendectomy. And if I tried to say the Greek word, it would just sound like appendectomy. So uh, we're just not going to do that. I've already ruined this moment totally, fully. Um, but here's, here's what it means. It means to decisively put away all that's behind and look forward to what's coming. To decisively, to definitively, to make a decision and say, I'm going to put away that which is behind me and I'm going to look forward to what is coming. That's what waiting ought to look like for the Christian in his or her life, in my life, in your life. What's the big deal about that? Why would I want to why would I want to take on that work? Why would I want to wait? Because in waiting, you and I get to experience that which will come. We get to experience hope. Waiting is work. You and I don't live in such a way where, where God calls us to just, all right, now you're saved, you've trusted in Christ, everybody just stop, and then one day Jesus will be back. No, we live a transformed life by God's Spirit, sanctifying us, making us new even as we speak. In this moment, Jesus is saving us to the uttermost, interceding on our behalf. Our faith is active. And even as we wait... We do it actively. Here's the second thing. Look at verse 18. Paul says this. He says, I consider the sufferings for this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed within us. Here's the thing that, that he draws out. Waiting is a worthy endeavor. Waiting is a worthy endeavor because here's what it does. It draws us out of the present circumstance into that which will come. As Christians, especially in a season of Advent, we're drawn to remember these stories of old. How many of you could just probably, if we just started reading Luke 2 right now, you could finish it? A number of us, and you might think, I don't know Luke 2. It's like, well, if you know Charlie Brown's Christmas, you do, actually, right? You know, you know, a number of the things that we'll say that we'll read from God's Word at Christmas, you know them. They're deep, deep inside you. We look back to the past to anticipate the future, and here is the brilliance of this. When we say these things again and again, we're acknowledging the not yet. We're acknowledging that God is making all things new. And we get to throw our heart into that. We get to throw our life into that. We get to anticipate that. 700 years from the moment God by His Spirit carries Isaiah along to write, for unto us the child is born. 700 years between that moment and the time that we find the Gospels and John's writing in chapter 1. That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That we get the picture of Jesus in the manger. Waiting draws us out of our circumstances in this moment to cause us to look toward that which is coming. This is what Paul would say in Second Corinthians 4. He'd say this, So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we wait, when we actively, it sounds weird, we actively decide... To purposefully wait and embrace everything that we haven't yet seen. It reminds us of all that is true. We're drawn into the unseen. And we understand that there is more than our present moment. Here's the third thing. Waiting, um, waiting is the place where hope begins. Waiting is the place where hope begins. Now, look, we talked about hope this morning. What is hope? It's not just a candle. It's not just a sign. It's not just a symbol. And it's not wishful thinking. It's not wishing you'd gone for two in the second overtime. Okay, it's not what it is. It's, the sun rose. It was still a painful day. Okay. <laughs> Look, hope. Hope is confident expectation. It's expecting. It's awaiting, it is truly waiting for the thing that is sure. Paul says it in this way look at verses 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is what he's saying. Only in waiting, only in the not yet do I get the experience, the opportunity, the joy of trusting in hope. I get to trust that what God said He will do, He will do. For us, for you and me... So often, hope is this thing that we embody in a thing. Like that there's something that embodies our hope. That, that, it can be, that it can be grasped. That we can hold it. The beauty of the gospel is that hope holds us. Hope holds us. It is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what God has done in the life of His Son that draws us into security. We hope we rest in His promises. The last couple of weeks we spent in Hebrews, uh, specifically chapter 10 and verses 19 and onward, and we looked at a passage that, that call, tells us that God draw, longs for us to come to Him. That we can draw near in full assurance of faith. And part of that is the confession of our hope. What is it? What what, what are we confessing? And and the writer of Hebrews would say that we would would be unwavering in our allegiance to, our, our loyalty to, our belief in, our trust in God. That we would be unwavering. How do we do that? Because we recognize that he keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. All of the scriptures that we looked at this morning, from a very first picture of of the life that will be restored in Jesus that we see in the garden, to the completion of the covenants of, of David and of Abraham, That find their yes and amen in Jesus to the picture that Isaiah gives us of one who will be born, that a virgin would conceive, that he would be all of these things wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, that that's who he is. All of those things we've seen come true. We've believed in the gospel. And now we get to look toward the future. We get to wait. Here's the thing. Um, this season, Christmas Advent, invites us into the mystery of God. And we're just a people that we got to have it all figured out. We all do. We all, we all want to have it all figured out. And there are those of us that, even spiritually, theologically, we want to have it all figured out. We want to have all the answers. But God draws us in this season into mystery. Here's the mystery God took on flesh and became a baby. For us that we might have life so why wait why the focus on waiting what does it look like to wait it looks like eagerly trusting in what god says he'll do but why why would we wait this is this is a, a pastor a theologian Much smarter than me. I kind of call him the the resident patron saint of Advent here at Double Oak. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He writes prolifically about Advent season and Christmas, perhaps more than most. um, And this is what he says. The Advent season is a season of waiting. But our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We get the beautiful opportunity in this season to tell old stories. To look at our own Christmases of the past, to celebrate traditions with our families, to do all of these incredible things. But at the crux, we look to God who comes to us. See, this is the beauty of Christmas. We, we will sing these songs and we'll say, Come thou long-expected Jesus. And we're asking, we're begging, we're pleading with God to come to us. We identify with saints of old. They they wanted the Messiah to come. And now we say in this season, we want the Messiah to come back, to redeem us, to take us home. All those songs that say come, we're going to sing a bunch of them through this season. Come thou long expected Jesus. This is the beauty. That sounds like we're asking God to come to us. When the reality is, God's asking us to come to Him. God's asking us to come to Him, and here's how He does it: He asks us to wait. He asks us to remember that our faith will become sight. That right now we see in a mirror dimly, but in the future we will see face to face. I want. I don't want I, I, I to wait. For anything. Now i got the Dawson's great theme song in my head. I, I don't, you hear it too. and I, Now you do. Now you got it. Every, every, every like female that's like 25 to 35 in here, it's like rolling right now. Look, I don't, I don't like to wait, but we get the opportunity to remember and to trust in and to participate in longing For God to do what he says he will do. He's kept his promises. He'll continue to keep them. Let's celebrate that in this season as we celebrate all that he's done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in coming to us wrapped in flesh. Would you pray with me?